Wild This Day in 1977, Fleetwood Mac, of course, scored their only Billboard number one hit with Dreams, which made number 24 in the UK. Although three other top ten hits were called, were culled rather from rumours, Don't Stop, Go Your Own Way and You Make Loving Fun, none were able to reach the top like this song here, the Stevie Nicks pen Dreams. As the rest of the band worked on the recording of the album and Nix was not needed at the moment, she slipped into an adjoining studio that once belonged to funk pioneer Sly Stone and wrote this song in under 10 minutes. When presented to the band, legend has it that the other members weren't too thrilled with it, but Stevie Nix was adamant that the song be recorded and succeeded in convincing her bandmates to do so. Well, Fleetwood Mac's dreams broke streaming records last year after a viral TikTok video. Idaho labourer Nathan uh, Apodica, known as 420 Dogface 208 on TikTok, filmed himself skateboarding down a highway, drinking cranberry juice and mouthing the Stevie Nicks sung lyrics to dreams. And he received thousands of dollars in donations since posting the clip. It's a... um how would you describe this album, Nikki Bazant? It's quite something, isn't it, Rumours? Yeah, I came to this quite late, actually, like, you know, in the last five years, I suppose. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's a great album. It's, Wasn't it's, there a whole lot of um, sort of things going on in the band at the time when they were recording it and everyone was fighting and sleeping with each other? Oh. And it was a real kind of a... There's a story behind this oh, album, Oh, it's right? a story, isn't it? Yeah. That's that one. Yeah, every every song's a winner on this album, huh? And it's one of those albums, actually, that you listen to the whole album. Well, I do, anyway. Yes. You know, which do, we don't do now. We, we just we, do. we just Spotify and go randomly from every... But you that's fine, you, you listen to it from the start to the end. You familiar with Rumours? No, it wasn't in our house, so I obviously listened to what my parents listened to, which mm. is a lot of Elvis and Queen and, and, and that. So, yeah, Fleetwood Mac were never in the house, no. so I didn't. I wasn't aware. No, no, now you are, though, eh? I am, yeah, it's lovely. But the yeah. chorus, I, I first heard a song through the chorus, <laughs> which is not how you want to find music, you know? <laughs> do the chorus do this? Yeah, they did a cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So the, the cause. <laughs> There's the name. Why don't we? Why don't we? Should have played the cause version oh, for you. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. Don't. About a McElroy. I'm eh? gonna look that up now. Don't play the cause, Jesus. What are the, what are the cause doing these days? Nothing. Uh, the fella, the only the fella in the in the band is a uh, what's those people that believe like anti-vaxxer, oh, believe in oh, all that okay. crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah so uh, he's 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 more known for that now. All right. Nice to have your company, folks, and really appreciate the feedback coming through here. My daughter was given this text by her grandmother, grandmother's favourite read. I loved reading and continue to do so. However, I never identified with these books as one of three uh, brown people at my local primary. Any text that further identified difference was irrelevant. Grandma admonished the viewpoint that the author was racist. I chose to read it with my daughter. However, talked about the text and meanings in the current context. Racist, yes, misogynistic, yes, sexist, yes, painful for me to read my, with my six-year-old daughter, yes, especially when we have amazing Aotearoa-based writers. Thank you for your thoughts today. 24 to 5 of the panel, Alan McRoy and Nikki Bazant with me uh, this afternoon. New Zealand takes on India in the inaugural edition of the World <coughs> Test Championship final beginning tonight with a $2.24 million prize up for grabs for the victor. Two sides were judged to be the best. The two sides were judged to be the best in the Test cricket. Uh, and they'll face off on neutral territory in England, a rare sight for world cricket. New Zealand have never played a Test venue uh, at this venue, rather, Southampton's Rose Bowl. Now, if the match is drawn, then New Zealand and India will share the trophy. With us to discuss is Hamish Bidwell, sports journalist and commentator. 
How are you doing? I'm well, yourself? Good, thank you. Hey, this is almost a David and Glass scenario, isn't it? I mean, on the one side, you've got this country of a billion dollars, a billion rather, where cricket is the national obsession. It's bored the sport's most powerful with an annual income of nearly 800 million. On the other, a nation of just 5 million with just 20 annually contracted men's cricketers. So uh, it's quite uh, a scenario, this. It is, and just to sort of further your point, I think New Zealand are probably rightly going to this game as favourites. I think they match up really well with India. I think the neutral venue you mentioned is a great advantage to New Zealand, um, and I'd be expecting them, weather permitting, to um, to win this match. Oh, you do? Absolutely, yeah. Um, India are blessed with a lot of pretty players, um, guys who look great in perfect batting conditions, but they don't have many guys who score tough runs, uh, runs in difficult circumstances. In New Zealand... They play a really attritional brand of cricket. Um, they're not flamboyant, but in guys like Latham, Williamson, Nichols, Watling, they have guys who are really dependable, who don't care about looking ugly, um, don't care about um, their reputation, or the, 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 there's no ego in the way they bat. They just adapt to the circumstances and play the long game. This, we've got a chance of a sixth day here, um, depending on what the weather does, and, and that'll suit New Zealand because they do play the long game. Um, they they're very patient, and uh, and that'll be a big advantage for them in this match, I believe. Yeah, and this is kind of the, the purest form of cricket, isn't it? You know, players still wearing whites and cable knits and paws for tea, that sort of thing, Hamish. Well, this would be a, um, a New Zealand win here would be a victory for cricket because you mentioned India and their, their wealth and their power and their population, and they've, they've transformed cricket. We have a lot of white ball 2020 cricket now with Indian Premier League sort of dominating the world schedule. Players often um, unavailable for international duty now because they want to recover from or prepare for IPL duties, and that's that's tending to hold sway. And if New Zealand in this purest form of the game, um, on this inaugural showcase, if they could win this match, it would be a real shot in the arm for some of the the smaller sides in the world and Mm. also for cricket, as I say, in its purest form. Yeah, fantastic. Alan Mackerel, I know that you're an absolute football fan. I am. I do like football, yeah. Uh, how's the English cricket? How's the Irish cricket team? Irish cricket team? I, I don't know. Uh, I know a few years ago uh, they bet uh, one of the big teams and then someone got murdered because the big teams shouldn't lose to Ireland. So I know we're not good uh, <laughs> because if they're going to sh- killing their own players because they lost to Ireland. Uh, I haven't got a clue. And I know one of our best players is plays for England, Owen Morgan. I think that's that's as far as it goes. But I thought New Zealand were one of... Like, I'm confused because you were in a final a couple of years ago. Uh, so I thought New Zealand were uh, one of the best teams in the world. But then reading the stuff article, it's all about New Zealand being the plucky underdog, uh, preparing for a loss. But then when you look at the odds, uh, India are only... It's nearly 50-50. They've marginal favourites. So I'm, I, I don't confused. understand cricket. Yes, to, Hamish? Uh, New Zealand the underdogs or New Zealand plucky upstarts? Is that what we're talking about? Well, that's mm. what I said in uh, in what I read today, which uh, which I was surprised by because I thought New Zealand were recognised as one of the best in in the world and shouldn't be underdogs. Should, like what you it's said, a, it's, should it's be well It's a really interesting scenario there because um, as you mentioned, New Zealand have been in the last two fifty over World Cup finals, so that's a white ball game played at fifty overs, um, lost them both once to Australia and then. then uh, the most recent one against England, they didn't lose, but they were crowned the victors. So that's yeah. sort of still a bone of contention. Um, yeah, that test cricket, because of the limited playing numbers we have here and the limited playing resources, 
they are a bit of an underdog team. You know, they just come off a two-test series against England. England and India and Australia play each other in five-test series. They, they, they regard themselves as being above little teams like New Zealand. They sort of play us out of a contractual obligation, but only in these short series because they don't believe we're big enough. And the irony, is, as has been mentioned, is that you know, they've been finalists the last two World Cups, and here they are in their inaugural World Test Championship final. So hardly a minnow. Yeah, yeah. Nikki, you... Well, I'm not a not the world's biggest cricket fan. I, I I do note that there's almost always a weather factor when it comes to cricket, isn't there? There's always some kind of delay around weather. So I'm wondering what the weather's do. Maybe you can tell us what the weather's going to be doing. I think there's an eighty percent chance of raining in at least three of the days. There's a high yeah. chance the right. night's play may not um, get underway on time, and there may not be a full day's play. That suits New Zealand. Um, what that means is, from a, a bowling point of view. Um, there's more chances of all swinging, there's more chances of all um, deviating off the pitch, um, and that's where the Indian batsmen are very vulnerable, and New Zealand, are, um, they have a bowling attack to exploit that, and as I mentioned before, they have the batsmen who will adapt to those circumstances potentially better than the Indian guys who are used to playing on really flat, true services where they can play their shots, and it will be a, a, a match where you have to be really circumspect and there will be, as they say in cricket, the potential for a ball with your name on it. And mm. if you're not patient and you, you are a bit flamboyant, you'll get that ball and you'll nick out. And so the, New Zealand's catching too is one of the things that really sets them apart from a lot of other teams. Um, and the slips are deadly and a lot of other teams just don't seem to be able to master that, that skill. Well, it's going to be quite extraordinary uh, if the Black Cats want to be in quite historic. Actually, just but finally, just, uh, just picking up on... Uh, uh, Alan's point. I mean, the turnaround has been just remarkable, hasn't it, over the years? I mean, 2013, they were the eighth in the world test rankings, their worst ranking. Now they're number one in the world. It, what has been their success? Oh, it's, some of it's sort of team culture stuff. Some of it's yeah. boring stuff, like um, they, they determined in about 2008 that um, New Zealand wasn't producing players capable of succeeding on the world stage because of the quality of our own pitches. And so a lot of money was spent on preparing services that encouraged people to, to express their skills better. You couldn't just be a, a medium pacer and get lots of people out. You had to actually have some pace or some skill with the ball. You had to bat in difficult circumstances and, and score big runs over long periods of time. Um, that's one with Devin Conway. I don't know if people are familiar with his name, but he's come into the New Zealand team 200 on debut. And he... He was doing, he's been doing that in domestic cricket. He's had a 300 and a 200 for Wellington because we're preparing our players on services that they're likely to get in test cricket. And so they're actually, you know, the, the, and the, 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 the domestic form's being transferred to the international stage. And that's something that New Zealand's done really well just by investing in quality services to make the, the, the quality of cricket better. Right, right. All right, New Zealand versus I mean, more broadly, to go back to what you were saying, yeah. they were an embarrassment and a disgrace and they were embarrassed of themselves and... They were a bit of a laughing stock. Um, they called people names. They swore. They behaved petulantly. There was this whole Brenda McCullum, Ross Taylor captaincy thing that lingered over the team for a while. And they actually had to just strip things back to their absolute bare bones and say, what is a New Zealander? What is a New Zealand cricketer? And how do we want to be perceived? And they worked really hard on that space. And that's something first under Brenda McCullum and, and with Kane Williamson succeeding as his, as his captain that they've done really well. And they have Amazing. to be really admired for. Yeah. 
Let's see what happens tonight. Hamish Bidwell, hey, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, 15 to 5, the panel RNZ National. Well, the government is investigating, investigating a proposal to increase KiwiSaver contribution rates to 10%, reports the New Zealand Herald's Tamsin Parker. Under the proposal, KiwiSaver joiners would see their contribution rate rise 0.5% each year until uh, it reached 10%. Excuse me, please. Existing KiwiSaver members would also be given this option. Australia will next month lift its compulsory employer superannuation contribution from 9.5% to 10%. So is it a good idea for New Zealand? With us to discuss is Sam Stubbs, the Managing Director of KiwiSaver Provider Simplicity. Kia ora, Sam. Kia ora. So does the current default contribution rate of 3% maybe, I don't know, lead some people to be complacent and never increase their contribution rate? Yeah, possibly. Look, here's, here's what that means for uh, um, someone who was studying it in KiwiSaver today. So if they were saving at 3% and the employer was putting in 3%, they would reasonably expect to have about $350,000 when they retire. Yeah. So how long does that last? Yeah, $350,000. If you took out $500 a week, that would last about 20 years. But if you took out $1,000 a week, it would only last about eight or nine years. So the big question is, is, is $350,000 enough on, on top of national super? And for most people, I think they would be struggling, you know. The, the average life expectancy is about 86 now for a male in New Zealand. So in theory, your money would run out even if you're only taking $500 a week. I see. So hence the uh, hence this, um, this, this idea. But look, who's going to pay for it? Would this mean employers will make a bigger contribution to their employees' KiwiSavers? Yeah, so that, that's, that's the big question because in, in a country like Australia, it's the employers who pay all of this. And so, and their contributions are now going to go up half a percent so the employers can get used to it. But in New Zealand, what's being mooted at this stage is that it's the employees that will pay that. And that means that you'd have to be paying another half a percent of your salary into your KiwiSaver every year until it got up to a reasonable amount. That's probably going to be a pretty hard ask for a lot of Kiwis. Yes. Um, yeah, but you know, savings savings is a habit, right? So, if you, so, 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 if you have to increase it, whether the employer or the employee pays, it's probably best to be doing it in half a percent increments. So it changes over time. People get used to it, gets built into wage negotiations, all those sorts of things. It takes a long time to get people used to putting that 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 much money away. But they'll they'll probably have to end up doing something like that, whether it comes from the employer or the employee. Mm. Nikki. Yeah, I quite like the idea that this starts when you start in KiwiSaver, right? And I, and I think surely one of the good things about that is that you don't notice it. You don't notice that money because you're not getting it right from the start, right? It's just going quietly away into your KiwiSaver, and that must be quite a good thing. So if it's increasing, and as you say, Sam, your wages are maybe increasing as along the way as well, so you're not necessarily noticing that that's a percentage is going up. That seems like quite a good way of doing it. Yeah, and it's particularly good for people who don't pay a lot of attention to it. So people who, 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 who aren't focused on saving their, for their retirement, out of sight, out of mind, it ends up going to account that accumulates. And they, they often get quite quite um, uh, a very pleasant surprise about how much is in there when they finally do pay attention to it. Yes, um, I, I haven't looked at mine, Sam, for uh, some months. So I just Because I forgot about it, you know? You forget about it. And, oh, what's in there? Wow! Does it say on the way on your like a wage slip? Because if you if I seen how much was being 
taken out of my account, I'd be focused on it going, I could have done with that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'd be like, I'd be watching, I'd do GST, so I'm always tipping into that uh, account <laughs> when I'm doing my online banking. Do you so, have KiwiSaver? I don't know. I don't know, I'm self-employed. Do you have KiwiSaver? No, you won't. No, no, no okay. No. Sam, advice you for... You must, you, you must have KiwiSaver. I'll tell you why, because there's some free money for you. I, if you're, even if you're self-employed, you that. put 1042 in, yeah. the government will give you $512 a year of free money every year. It's the only free money I've ever heard of. I like free money. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Sam, I've got a big story for you, uh, which I put on Twitter. And it, kind of, uh, <clears throat> it kind of created quite the thread. Um, so I was uh, in a cab a couple of days ago, and I was talking to him. They were talking about, he was talking about his young family and providing and making sure that his young daughter wanted to grow up and get a good education and stuff like that. And uh, we started talking about KiwiSaver. He said, oh, I'm a bit late for that. Uh, I'm 31, so it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm past it now for KiwiSaver. And I just oh, said... I just said, I started when I was 45, and I won't tell you how much I have, but he yeah. said, really? What do, you, what do you make of that, Sam? Because there still must be that sort of attitude that oh, it's a bit late for me now. It's crazy, isn't it? And yet it's never too late for KiwiSaver. And in fact, the rules have changed now, so you can have a KiwiSaver account until well over 65, and you can basically use it as the account to help fund your retirement. Bearing in mind, of course, the great thing about it is the money's very safe there. With KiwiSaver, no one's going to rip you off because the money is held in a separate account by a trustee, which is appointed by the government. And the KiwiSaver brand is so important to the future of New Zealand now that no government is going to allow anyone to really muck around with it. So it's a very safe place for people to be. And you're absolutely right, Wolf. It is never too late to start saving. Never. So would you recommend then, even if this this new scheme doesn't go ahead, that we all perhaps put a little bit more than 3% into our KiwiSaver? Yeah, look, I think you should try and get into a habit of increasing it to as much as you can comfortably and sometimes slightly uncomfortably put away mm. and then try and, and, and then just get used to the habit. I mean, <laughs> as, as you've all said, it's basically out of sight, out of mind. Once it's gone, you won't notice that it's gone. And even if it appears in your pace, look, it's still gone and it's still there for you. It's your own money. And then try and increase it. If you go to really big established markets like the US and the UK and so on, what they will tell you is what you should be aiming for is somewhere around about 10% of your salary should ultimately be going in. And the sooner you do that, the better. The sooner you do that, the better. Because Einstein said, you know, the, the eighth wonder of the world is compounding interest. If you get those early savings, and they're in and they compound up over your lifetime, it makes a massive difference. You can go to calculators on sites like Sorted, which is run run by the government. You can put some numbers in and see the awesome difference that saving early uh, uh, makes. That is a great calculator. That's a yeah, very good calculator, yeah. that one. I did that myself, yeah, uh, a, few, a few months ago. Hey, Sam, nice to have you on the program. Appreciate it. Uh, that is Sam Stubbs there, Managing Director of KiwiSaver Provider. Simplicity there. That's a good place to start, perhaps, yep. uh, Alan. Is I'm to, uh, signing up today. Just, well, no, just a bit of homework. And actually go on to sorted.org.nz and actually do that calculator, see what you can put away, mm. and uh, then do your own homework. I will do. And decide whether or not you want to do it. Anyway, to this, positive attitudes towards the arts have hit an all-time high, according to new research by Creative New Zealand. One in four people say the arts have become more important to their personal well-being since COVID-19 arrived in Aotearoa. And nearly a third of New Zealanders agree that arts and culture support their well-being. The results are part of a triennial, triennial research study into New Zealanders' attitudes towards attendance at and participation in the arts. 
So with us to discuss is David Pannett, Senior Manager of Strategy and Engagement at Creative New Zealand. Kia ora, David. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me on today. Pleasure. Explain this in a bit more detail for us. Sure, yeah. This is uh, New Zealanders in the Arts, Ko Aotearoa Me Ona Toi, as you said, our three-yearly survey of how New Zealanders are feeling about the arts, how they're experiencing them, getting into them, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, some really important um, findings in there. Um, some really positive stuff, as you pointed out. What's, uh, what's, 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 what's a key finding that kind of surprised you? Yeah, sure. Um, I think across the board it was really heartening um, and maybe a little bit surprising after the year we've all had with um, living through COVID was to see how positive people were. And it wasn't just um, in a couple of areas, it was right across the board in terms of the questions we asked them about how they're feeling about the arts. So that was certainly one thing that surprised me. Um, we almost half, I was reading, yeah. almost half of New Zealanders agree that arts and culture play a role in rebuilding New Zealand post-COVID. So clearly uh, a really large sector of this country um, mm. are arts supporters in one way or another. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was. Um, I think that's... <laughs> Largely through, um, you know, as I said, the experience that we all had last year. You know, the arts certainly helped us get us through the, some of those really tough times um, mm. that we were experiencing. I mean, life, life in lockdown would have been pretty hard to imagine without good books, good music, good things to watch on the box. All that, that is true, so, Nikki. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I agree, David. That that actually the arts are an important part of our well-being. Putting my well-being hat on, mm. um, these things, beauty, um, laughter, you know, all these things that enrich our lives actually actually help us, um, help our mental health, help our well-being in general. Well, you're very ensconced in the arts sector, Alan. In fact, you make a living off it. <coughs> so, yeah. what do you make of this, and what do you see? Uh, it's crazy. We're booked out. We sold out the classic, the comedy club last Friday and Saturday uh, with an Irish and Scottish show. Mm. While downstairs sold out with two hundred seats. I'm booked. I'm, I've I've don't have a day off for a long time. Like my job Gosh. is easy. Uh, everybody is coming out to uh, to watch comedy, or to do quizzes, or to do whatever. And it's great because after the first lockdown, people flooded out, and then the second one hit and then people were a bit wary about coming back out again but it does seem over the last month or so everybody is going out spending their money and enjoying being out and about and going to see shows so people are going out spending loads of people like I'm, I'm not like I'm in Nelson next weekend, Queenstown the weekend after. Uh, we're all over the place, travelling all over the country, and the gigs are selling quite well. Like, so, um, David, we recently talked about the need for more political input into the arts. It seems to be mm. a bit of a black hole regarding uh, policy, some would say. Uh, and one arts academic on the program said that the average pay in the arts sector is around fifteen thousand dollars a year. Fifteen k. That, that figure of 15K comes out of an early piece of research that we um, commissioned with New Zealand on the air as well, which is really important to shine a light on, on some of those really, the, how, tough, how tough it is to make a living in the arts, um, despite all these positive benefits that we're, we're talking yeah, about. So too, on but... one hand, we're talking well-being. On the other hand, you've got people trying to make a crust in mm. this country, getting paid 15, 20, yeah. 22, 26K, quite small amounts of money. Is there anything else that needs to happen here to bridge that gap policy-wise? Yeah, sure. I mean, that 15K figure was the average income that people made from the creative work. So what that research told us as well, it was it absolutely showed that a lot of people 
have more than one job who work in the sector. You know, they're, they're trying to make ends meet by um, a variety of different jobs and, and the, just how difficult it is to make a decent crust on, on pure creative work alone. So that really opened up our eyes. But in, in this research, New Zealand is in the arts research, um, two of the biggest three shifts that we saw in people's attitudes were around public funding for the arts. Um, okay. So those those shot up our public funding and my local council should provide money to fund the arts as well. So it was really an interesting, uh, some interesting findings to see that not only were people feeling better about the arts as well, but they really see the benefit and the impact of more money coming in from public funders towards the arts, which you know provide income and work for, for artists to make all those wonderful things happen, of course. Indeed. Hey, David, thank you for your time. No problem. Uh, David Panapair, Senior Manager of Strategy and Engagement at Creative NZ. Uh, yeah, we're big uh, supporters here in New Zealand. As soon as we don't have to pay the actual non-performing artists, got to keep them starving in their garrets, says Helen. Someone says, arts are fantastic, but it is underpaid, 48 cents an hour. So it depends on what you're doing. I guess it depends on uh, like, well, we, it's when we do stuff. Obviously, comedy's a little bit better paid. Well, no, well, we joke about we get we get paid tens of dollars, but then you have to put on your <laughs> own gigs. Like people want to buy tickets to a show. If you put on a good show, people will pay money. Uh, the quiz stuff, the comedy quizzes, I sell to bars, and then companies yeah. want an event in their office. So that's it's a constant hustle. Yeah. But uh, ah. you know, it's not. I'm not sitting at home all day. I'm I'm writing, trying to book in the next month or so. Do you get tired of the hustle? No, oh, no, because I don't have to wake up in the morning except for tomorrow morning. Like, I, I hated an alarm <laughs> clock and that was it. I couldn't stand it. Why didn't you get a proper job? I tried. Didn't work out. Get a good... Get a, get a, get I get a de- Kiwi Saver. Get a, get a Kiwi Saver and a desk job. Yeah, all right. Any job's gone. I have a CV, but I haven't updated <laughs> it in 20 years. <laughs> Nikki Bazant, uh, Alan Mugroy, thank you very much. Thank a big you. thank you to Emma Hurley for producing uh, the week. I'm back Monday, 3.45 till then. Bye.